0: To another episode of Electable. I'm Deb Chubb, and our podcast is sponsored by Indiana Women's Action Movement. We are just very um, happy to be featuring the candidates that we are working with um, in our candidate network at Indiana Women's Action Movement. And today we're very pleased to have with us Katherine Ryback. She's running for House District 76, which is down in Posey County and a little bit of Vanderburgh County. And I think that's, I think those are the only two counties, but you'll correct me. Um, So good. So um, so we want to hear from you, Kathy. I've so enjoyed working with you. I mean, I've just really enjoyed getting to know you and what a terrific candidate you are. But um, tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background. And then, of course, tell us why you're running.
1: Well, first, Deb, I want to thank you for the support, because having that weekly check in has been really great for getting me to move my campaign forward. Uh, And let me tell you a little bit about myself, okay? I've been married for 40 years to my husband, Tom Thornton, and we have four kids and three grandchildren. Uh, We would like some of our kids to move back to Indiana, so we wanna make Indiana a better place. Uh, And I'm running because for 40 years, I worked as an attorney with Indiana Legal Services representing low-income and senior clients. And, you know, during that time, I fought several battles on behalf of my clients. Uh, One was my clients were being put in jail over debts that they couldn't couldn't pay. In fact, we had one county where all the person that, you know, they would get a judgment and all they had to do is call the court and say the person missed a payment and a warrant for their arrest would be issued so we took these cases up to the the Court of Appeals and got that practice stopped and then we started seeing people being arrested for missing court dates that they didn't know about you know because you know they're serving you at an old address poor people unfortunately have very unstable housing and so they often were not at the address where they were served with notice to appear and so they wouldn't show up and they'd get an arrest warrant. And those arrest warrants still are on the books, some of them, um, because they don't expire in some counties. Some counties have an expiration date. But anyway, we were able to fix that in a way because we went to the Supreme Court Rules Committee with a role to require proof that the person received notice before you could issue one of those body attachments. Uh, And so we stopped seeing so many of those uh, in part because of our work and in part because our jails were so busy. Uh, And uh, so then we started seeing people get hit with a 25% garnishment by default. So you have somebody who's maybe had an eviction or a big medical bill they couldn't pay and they've got a judgment and they don't even get notice often of the, the hearing on payment And if they don't go to that hearing, they'll find 25% disappeared from their paycheck following that hearing. And so what that does to people is they, it's, you know, it's Friday, okay, you're expecting $500 and you get 25% less. Well, you can't pay your daycare and your rent and your utilities or your car payment. And so I have had clients just not be able to work because of that. And the other thing it does is it creates a whole economy of people who are working under the table, which is really not good for the, for the state.
0: Right, right.
1: So I, I would like to change that. And I have pitched that idea to some of my, my representatives and have not seen any action on it. So I thought, boy, I'd better do this myself. And then as t- I talked to voters, uh, one of the things that's really concerning people down here in Southwestern Indiana is our utility rates. And this is probably an issue that everybody's gonna see sooner or later. I think our incentives and our utility regulation are all wrong. I mean, the, the utility makes more money, the more money they spend. And the more money they spend, the higher the rates for right. rate payers. And so what I'd like to see is maybe a change in the standard for how those rates are set and also a change in the composition of the Indiana Utility Regulatory Commission so that there's some regional representation so that there's, there's somebody that we can look in the eye and say, hey, you know, this is not fair to us and there needs to be a stop to it because the monopoly power of the utility companies is really being shown down here in southwestern Indiana.
0: Right. We have that problem, even up here um, NIPSCO is our service provider and they are asking the uh, Utility Regulatory Commission to approve um, a, a fee put on all the bills for consumers up here to pay for their um, inadequate cleanup of coal ash. So for years, they've been charging people, you know, for, for electricity and gas and taking off big profits and knowingly poison into the ground and the air and the water. And then when the EPA finally says, oh, now you got to clean that up, they'll say, oh, okay, well, now we'll charge consumers for that. I mean, how is that ethical?
1: Oh, well, right. And they get it, get it approved every time if they follow the correct process. Now, I think Duke made an error and they did some of that work and then asked to be paid after the fact. But if you go in and ask for approval to do the work. Right now, the IURC is approving it. And so yeah. we all get to pay for their, you know, bad planning.
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's not, I mean, they knew they were polluting. They knew it. <laughs> and up yeah. and here, NIPSCO already faced a big judgment for, you know, burying that same coal ash in a place that leached into people's um, wells, their drinking water wells. Um, and had to put in um, all kinds of, uh, they had to bring city water and and they're facing another um, just civil suit um, for the damages that they've caused. So, yeah. you know, so, I mean, are we gonna have to pay for that too?
1: Yeah, well, and it ties into issues of health in Indiana. You know, Indiana really ranks poorly in terms of the health of our people. And, you know, part of it is is pollution. Part of it is access. A lot of our counties don't have access to, to OBGYN care, right. um, you know, or hospitals. Uh, and so people have to, you know, they're really at risk if they can't get to the hospital in, in a reasonable amount of time. Uh, and so we need to be addressing those issues and access to health care and women's reproductive health. And I have to say, I think that our approach to uh, uh, preventing abortion Uh, shouldn't be to ban it. It should be to improve access to contraception. I'd really like to see us, number one, uh, allow pharmacists to prescribe uh, contraception. Uh, It's done in other states safely. I think that would provide much better access for women who are too busy to keep their doctor's appointments every year to get their prescription renewed. I know that it's really good for people to get a checkup, but you know, if it means that they're gonna continue on their birth control, it would be good to have that available at the pharmacy. And there is oh, yeah. a pharmacy on every corner, at least in places like Evansville, maybe not so much in Mount Vernon. I've heard that over in Posey County, uh, particularly for Medicaid recipients, those pharmacists are non-participating. And so it would be nice to get a participating pharmacy over there.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's just so much. Um... I'm afraid I, I, I'm still having a hard time getting my head around this whole, you know, uh, stripping, uh, you know, the rights away from anyone who owns a uterus that were guaranteed in the Constitution to anyone to that, that came to this country. They, you know, people came here with the promise that you could create your own destiny, uh, that you would be treated equally, um, and here we are now. If you um, if you happen to have a uterus. Well, the, all of that doesn't apply to you.
1: Right. Uh, you don't have be- the right to control your own body anymore. Right. Uh, you're uh, sent- and-
0: sentenced to poverty and, you know, you can't finish education. Uh, well, and I- there's
1: ser- serious health consequences. So, for example, what are women to do who are on maintenance medications for serious conditions, mm-hmm. seizure conditions, cancer? Uh, what, if, what if somebody needs medication because they're suicidal without it? Are we going to make them stop taking their medications?
0: Yeah, because it might also um, support an abortion, I guess.
1: Well, some of those medications actually do cause uh, miscarriage or they cause fetal problems. So you'll end up with, you know, babies that are damaged uh, because of the medication that the mom has to take. You know, the other thing is, is there are so many things that can happen during a pregnancy So, so it's just saying, I mean, the way they've worded it, it sounds like it has to be a threat to the life of the mother before you will have an exception. And it's not, not clear what they would consider to be an adequate threat. And you don't know how much they're going to, how much uh, of a benefit of the doubt they're going to give to doctors. If I were a doctor, I would be afraid to do anything. And that's the worst place for a woman is to be in the care of a doctor who doesn't feel like they can provide medically sound treatment for whatever right. is happening to that to that woman.
0: Right, I mean, we're already seeing it. Hospitals who are telling women, you know, who are having miscarriages, who used to go, you know, used to be able to go in and yes, miscarriage, um, you know, fetus isn't gonna make it, um, have a DNC. And now it's like, no, we don't, we don't do that procedure anymore. You have to go home, you have to, you know, suffer through hours, days of pain and heavy bleeding and, um, and then wait until you're, you know, you're septic. Um, you know, I mean, this is insane. This is insane. I can't, the number of women who will die is-,
1: well, is Yeah, um, I mean, there are other conditions too. Like there's one where a woman will go into a liver failure and the only treatment for that is to remove the fetus. Um, You know, another is if the placenta is under the head of the the fetus and Uh there's a chance of a rupture, which can cause catastrophic bleeding. I mean, there's just there's just so many things and you can't you can't come up with an exhaustive list, which is why we really should be leaving this up to doctors and women to decide.
0: Right. Well, and the bottom line is, you know, women, women deserve to decide when they're going to have a child. Uh, women deserve to have the option to not have a child if they're going to, you know, enter law school or they're going to, you know, just to college or, uh, you know, or they're working and they need to support the children that they already have. You know, women make very sound decisions about their own capacity to birth and raise children. Um, You know, and I've had
1: people complain to me about, oh, this younger generation doesn't want to raise their children that, you know, they just want to be buddies with their children and all of that, or or they don't, you know, they don't discipline them. They don't, you know, they're, you know. So if you want to criticize people for for the way they raise their children, you should honor a person who's saying, "I am not ready for this responsibility." That's right. That's right. You know, right. and and you know, you know, my view of early abortions, first trimester, is really colored by my own experience having a spontaneous abortion, which is a miscarriage. And I didn't view that as the loss of a baby. I viewed it as a course correction. You know, nature made, made a mistake and and took right. care of it. Right. You know, and I think in the early pregnancy, especially women should be able to address things where, you know, their contraception fails or consent fails. Right. Sometimes it's right. a question of there not being adequate consent. Right. Um, you know, it could, it could be lots of things that-
0: Right, and the, I mean, yeah. there are lots of situations where um, it, prob- it could be considered rape technically, but women know, I don't have any evidence of this. Right. I, I, I don't, you know, I don't know, you know, what was, you know, I don't know where the law stands on what happened to me. And, yeah. and I don't have any confidence that I'll have the support of my family or the um, police or a prosecutor. I mean, yeah. let's not forget, I mean, women who are raped and who, uh, who are go to, uh, you know, to seek treatment and support, you know, they go to a hospital where they are violated all over again under the bright lights with everybody looking and yeah. a police officer who's asking her what she was wearing and what, how much she had to drink um, and then, And then, you know, and then she'll talk to a prosecutor later on who will say, yeah, you know, I believe you, but I don't think we're, you know, you know, we know who did it, um, but we just don't feel like we have enough to take it to court. I mean, Um, is there not a chilling effect from all of that? I mean, we all know that is someone that has happened to. And for God's sake, that is like a terrible chilling effect on reporting. So I, you know,
1: right. Well, and another issue with this is the woman who's trying to get out of an abusive relationship is so much more, so much more, uh, facing so many more obstacles if they become pregnant.
0: Right. Right. Uh,
1: And, and that, that partner can continue to abuse them for the entire life of the child because it's, You know, I've seen that over and over again in family law situations where people use the child to get to the other parent and it's just, and it's so bad for the children.
0: Oh, it is. Yeah. And just to have control over the woman and, you know, keep her poor, keep her unemployed. Uh, I've seen that too. I practiced a lot of family law many years ago as well. And yeah, it's, it's infuriating. All right. So, okay. I know we could, we could talk about this forever but um, tell, us, um, tell us what else are big issues that you're hearing about that you want to address as a state legislator.
1: All right. Well, so we've looked at uh, economic development in the state of Indiana and Indiana is really lagging behind because we have not invested in our public schools or in childcare. You know, employers are, are complaining that nobody wants to come to work, but one of the big barriers is... Actually, the unavailability of good childcare at any price, and then the affordability of childcare for people who are making, you know, fifteen to twenty dollars an hour. I mean, it. You know, if you can afford to hand over half of your paycheck, uh, you know, right. It's you know, it's just not very workable for people. So, uh, I'd like to see us invest in childcare. Either number one by Making money available for conversions of existing facilities to ch- the use of childcare so that you can meet standards. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing would be to invest in more vouchers for people who qualify and maybe raise the income limit because right now it's pretty low. I, what is it, 120? 127% 7%. of the
0: federal poverty level, which is like, I mean, nothing. Nobody can live on that. <laughs> I mean, let alone have a child. And you know, right. raise a child on that.
1: Right. So, so making those things available to women so that they can work and support their families. That right. You yeah, know, women and then, want
0: to be working, contributing members of society. Well, and absolutely <laughs> but, yes. You know, we just uh, need uh, you know to quit having all these obstacles in the way.
1: You know, and then and then as far as our schools go, you know, we've had teachers leave because of. COVID was one reason. Um, the other thing is, is their workload is so much higher than it used to be. I mean, class sizes are higher. Their, their school day is longer. Their breaks are smaller. Their planning periods are fewer and far, further between. And so teachers get tired and burnt out, and they can make more money doing something else. Oh, yeah. So we need to be paying a competitive wage we need to pay a wage that will attract back teachers and new teachers so that the people that are working as teachers have, an, have a manageable workload. Uh, and you, know, you kind of see this trend to attack public schools and give money for vouchers. And that just seems to be so destructive of the public good because our society depends on a well-educated workforce. Right. And each individual family depends upon the children getting what they need to go out there and and compete in the workplace, which is changing. Uh, there still are some jobs you can do without a whole lot of training, but it's 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 becoming apparent that at least some post-secondary education is necessary to make a living wage. So Absolutely. we want to make sure that that can happen for people.
0: And I think that's really becoming much more urgent, um, you know, as an issue. We've been talking about education and how teachers have been getting disrespected for many years now. And now um, uh, it appears we have 2,300 teaching vacancies um, around the state. So, uh, so what does that mean? That means that um, if we don't get good people like you in the state house, they'll end up reducing the qualifications for teachers so that they can hire people who are less qualified and they'll increase the class size. So teachers who are there are gonna be teaching a lot bigger classes. Um, and that just makes it awful. I mean-
1: Well, and they, they've already done it. I mean, they've already reduced the qualifications to be a teacher. Right? And then they have this special thing where those folks cannot join the teachers union. I mean, what is that all about? I mean, it's- Yeah,
0: yeah they have so crushed the teachers union. It is just- It's awful. I mean, it's just awful. No, and no, and I always like to point out that, you know, other unions are not being told what what they can and cannot negotiate for, like teachers' unions are. Um, Other unions are not being told, well, you have to uh, have each member opt in every month before you can deduct their dues from their paycheck. I mean, only the teachers' union is getting this kind of treatment.
1: So, well, except that Indiana has gone after unions and we need to stop that. Yeah. I mean, they got rid of the prevailing wage. They they passed right to work, which actually means right to work for less, right? You know, and then still the unions are under are under an obligation to represent all employees whether they opt in or opt out of the union, right? Right? And you know, how is that right except that that's a federal requirement uh, and so what the state is doing is they're, they're making it harder for unions to be effective.
0: Right, and I always like to remind people, you know, unions are what created the middle class um, that allowed families to earn an, a good wage, at, to you know, buy a home, buy a car, go on vacation, uh, send their children to college. Uh, that was the middle class and that was based on Union wages—that is how we created our middle class, and and that's how we can get it back. I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're big believers in unions. It was really funny when my husband retired from the post office; he actually was paying dues to four different unions. Oh, wow! Because he was a he was a mail carrier, he was a, an electronic technician, he was a postmaster, he was in the supervisors' organization as well, because he did all of those jobs at one time or another, and never <laughs> oh, quit a union. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's great. He's got some good union dedication. That's awesome. So, yeah. okay. So we're almost out of time. So I wanted, um I want you to tell us um, how you know what what do you need to get elected, Catherine? We want to get you elected so bad. Um, your opponent is a you know is a conservative who vote, will vote for abortion bans and will keep knocking down unions. Um, we need you in office. Tell us what your campaign needs and how people can reach you.
1: Okay, so. So obviously my campaign needs more money. And and actually, uh, you know, we've had an independent enter the race who's more conservative than the Republican who's in the race. And so while this kind of looked initially as probably a long shot, I think I've got a really good chance to win. And this is a good place to put your money if you're investing in races. To change the balance of power in the state house, that's what we need. So you can you can uh, donate to me on Act Blue to the committee to elect Ryback. Uh, you can reach me at uh, Ryback for Rep at Google. R Y B A K. It's kind of a funny name, <laughs> uh, and uh, you know I think those are probably the best ways to get a hold of me.
0: Great, well, and I'm sure you could use some volunteers to go out and help spread the word.
1: Absolutely, yes, we will be doing some texting and I am canvassing now and we have a kickoff. If you are in my area, August the 6th, we are having a kickoff at Red Bank Library at 10 o'clock. So if you wanna volunteer, come on down. Great. And really, when you talk about my district, even though I have small portions of Vandenberg County, two thirds of my population is in Vandenberg County. Oh, wow. So one third is in Posey, two thirds is, um, is in Vandenberg. So, you know, we have, we have a lot, it's really, you know, it's really tricky is finding voters in Vandenberg County because they go, well, are, I'll go, well, are you in my district? And they're like, well, I don't know. And then I'm like, well, do you live north of Pigeon Town- Creek? Do you live south of Petersburg Road? You know, I mean, it's just so convoluted the way they've gerrymandered this district that, you know, that would be another thing. I mean, I, if I were around for 10 years and it was our turn to draw the lines, I think we should draw competitive districts wherever we can because it's bad for government when incumbents can just run and run and run and feel like they don't have to respond to their constituents.
0: That's yeah. That is what yeah. That's where we need to go. That's down the road. But we need you in there so we can get there. So we can get down the road. So if you're feeling upset and you're angry, here's how to you know channel that energy. You know help Catherine get elected. It would be it would be a huge boost to uh, women and to all Hoosiers uh, in Indiana for sure for sure. All right. Well, thank you very much, Catherine. Always nice hanging with you. And so, um, and you're doing great. You are a terrific candidate. You're doing a great job in this campaign. And you really do have a chance. You really, really do.
1: Now, yeah. Thanks a lot, Deb. All right.